Are we recording? No, too much, too much, too much, too much. Hey everybody, welcome to Ducks Watch Together. I'm Josh. And I'm Kylie. And on today's episode, we talk about Moneyball. The movie. Not the book. Though we could probably talk about the book. I haven't read it. You could just pretend. What do, you, what do you think? What, what do you, what's your favorite part of the book? I haven't read it. Just, just, just pretend. Just be like, yeah, you're, like, you're an expert in it. The movie. Oh, interesting. They're very different from each other. Okay. Well, <laughs> are we? Are we not starting off well, Kylie? Kylie, we're not. Okay, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry, listeners. This has been maybe the record of the amount of time it took for me to break Kylie. <laughs> She was not on board with the bit. And no, I, I, I made it very clear I wasn't <laughs> on board with the bit from the start. But like, it could have been so much fun. We could have like just we could have just rolled with it. We could have just you know. It's very different from the movie, apparently. How oh. can I roll with it? Well, that, was, that was part of the bit. You know. All right. Well, why, why, why Moneyball, Kylie? Why are we here today? To talk about this film. Because you picked it. I, I did. True story. Because there seemed to be a time where I wasn't going to have a lot of free time in my life. And now here I am. <laughs> yeah, then <laughs> coronavirus happened. And we've all had most things get canceled. So here we are. We're here to talk about Moneyball. Maybe, maybe we'll throw a few curves in. Because this wasn't... It's original spot in our calendar, so uh, maybe we'll maybe we'll we'll do a little moving of things around. You guys still? We okay. have to, Josh. We have to like rework our schedule. Yeah, they pretty much just canceled all the movies we were gonna <laughs> we were going to cover. Mm-hmm. Uh, what what's been what's been moved back so far? Mulan. Uh huh. A Quiet Place. Yep. Part two. Part two. Yeah. Uh-huh. Uh huh. Fast and Furious. Fine. Kylie. Yeah. I'm excited to talk about Moneyball. Uh-huh. I definitely love this movie. I know. And we'll get to all kinds of things that we're going to talk about. It's got my guy in it. It's about my sport. It's just good times. I remember the season. It's good times all around. Okay. But before we get there, uh-huh. I think I have an opinion that is somewhat agreed with, but mostly probably not. I would dare say that Moneyball is the best sports film of the 2010s. No. Okay. Wait. So, this is the inquiry of the half Fortnite, which is... USA. What's the best sports film of the 2010s? McFarland now, I <laughs> thought you would say McFarland. <laughs> and, well, I'm open to conversation, because, like, that's a big statement. Um, but, yeah, so... What is the, be- the best sports film of the 2010s? Creed. This is another one up there as well. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. <laughs> Um, other ones that I thought of that you could put in here, uh, The Fighter, it's 2010. Um. If only I like that film. Uh, it has Oscars. So? So is Green Book. <laughs> uh, Borg versus McEnroe. Okay, well, <laughs> only we like that. Uh, Ron Howard's Rush. Rush. And Ford versus Ferrari. Not Ron Howard's, but, you know, also racing. Uh-huh. Uh, Warrior? Uh-huh. Only I like that film. No, lots of people like that By film. By Gavin O'Connor. Mm-hmm, yeah. Let's see. What else is here? Concussion? Will Smith deals... I don't know if that's a sports movie. Is that a sports movie? Same way that this is a sports movie. Okay, there's there's far less actual football. And I'm gonna say Concussion, not a sports movie. That's like a doctor movie. Like, he's a doctor. We don't really, like, the sports are not consequential to the plot. 42. Uh-huh. Eddie the Eagle. Great. Foxcatcher. Draft Day. Million Dollar Arm. I, Tonya. Southpaw? Southpaw. Uh, Fighting With My Family. Secretariat. Oh, Secretariat. Uh, Trouble With the Curve. Mm. That's a bad movie. High Flying Bird. That's fine. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I didn't realize until I started thinking about this, like, 
in my brain, sports movies had like Queen of Cotway. Yes, absolutely. Sports movies had taken a bit of a downturn, I thought, in just output. Like, I didn't feel like there was as many of them being made as um, there was in the past. But then when I kind of looked through it, I was like, I get, there's like two or three a year. You know, it seems like it's it's still a genre that people are interested in watching, at least somewhat. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, that's kind of why I was like, yeah. Boon? I, I will argue that I think the top two... Listen, McFarlane's definitely in the top five. I'm not gonna lie to you, okay? Mm-hmm. Maybe I'll even give it three. The top... The, the arguments for me seem to be Creed or Moneyball. Okay. And I will talk more in the episode about why I think that it's Moneyball... But I, I would I would be interested if there was an argument, like, what's the argument for Creed as well? Because like, I think it's just, it's a well-made movie that's definitely a sports movie. What are you, what are you mumbling about over there? Nothing. You can, t- you can defend McFarlane. Go for it. Do it. Oh, I wasn't... I, <laughs> I don't really actually have much to say. I'm just looking through other lists. Uh-huh. The Eagle Huntress. What's the Eagle Huntress? Oh, it's a documentary that oh. is narrated by Daisy Ridley about uh, Aishoplin, a thirteen-year-old Kazakha girl from Mongolia. She attempts to become the first female eagle hunter to compete in the Eagle Festival. Nice. Yeah, that's awesome. It's a good one. Docs. Oh, docs. Uh, undefeated. That's a good doc. Um, the one that came to mind is only a sports movie for an hour to two hours. <laughs> oh, OJ Made in America. Yeah. <laughs> the first two parts <laughs> of OJ Made in America. So should we start the episode? Oh, okay, yeah. Hi, everyone. I'm Josh. Uh, welcome to Ducks Watch Together. Uh, all of this before wasn't anything. We're just going to start here. You know what's interesting? Okay, yeah. What's up? I'm sorry to say, but Wikipedia's category 2010 sports films does not have Moneyball listed. It's not counted as a sports film. Well, I will continue my tirade <laughs> against Wikipedia being a not good source. Yeah, but it's an okay at times when I'm looking for a bunch of stuff to help me out. You're not wrong. Um... It's a sports film. It loads faster than IMDb. Yeah, no, that's fair. Um, It's a sports film. Why would it not be a sports film? The the success and failure of the Oakland A's are integral to the plot of this film. Okay. Which is how I would, like, categorize a sports film. Because, like, okay. In some... Like, a film like Uncut Gems. It's sports in there. And if you consider gambling to be a sport, or sports betting to be a sport, then sure. However, I would say that Uncut Gems, not a sports film. Because the actual, like, gameplay doesn't super matter. It is the outcomes and the actions of the characters, including an athlete, that happens to matter. I don't know, now I'm talking about it. Maybe Uncut Gems is a sport film. Maybe Moneyball's a business film. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, you're not wrong. The most, like... The scenes that have the most tension and the most, like... Like, entertainment, like, gripping nature of the film are not on the sports... Or not on the uh, the baseball diamond. Mm -hmm. However... I, I would I would actually ask that as a question to you because like On I the, know the outcome of the games so there wasn't any like tension there for me. On the actual list of sports films Wikipedia page Moneyball is listed. okay. Few few okay. So is it more reputable now? Well, no, I just agree with it this time. <laughs> oh okay. <laughs> All right, friends. Wait, so you asked me a question? I did. Is there? Is there tension? Is the 
result does the result of the games in any way shape or form add are they are do they have more tension than the scenes off of the field no okay yeah that's uh, that that is where i thought too uh, do you want to? Do you want to? Your good was sticking. I, I was supposed to feel tension in this film. Oh yeah, lots of it. Oh, there's so much. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I don't know if tension's the right word, but like, there, there, a film and a script needs to be like gripping and engaging, and it needs to be sure. This yeah. film's pretty engaging on and off the field. Yeah, I'll say. My, I don't think tension was the word you. Tension wanted was the word that I wanted. Yeah, but I, I will say I will say that it's engaging on and off the uh, the field. There was one scene that my eyes definitely just glazed over because I, I didn't really understand what was going on. Great. Well, let's 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 dive in. But first, friends, if you want to answer the inquiry of the half squared Fortnite, which is what's the best sports film of twenty tens, the decade. You can do so at friend of a friend podcast at squarespace.com. You can also find us on Apple Podcasts and iTunes. Give us a five star review or an star review, as well as hit that subscribe button. What was that sound? It was, it was a ball getting hit. Oh, okay. I just didn't hear it. It was really quiet. Oh, it's like a, it's like a whisper. It's like a, it's like a wiffle ball is getting hit. Yeah, well, it's we're far away. Yeah, you can't hear us. Well, it's usually a big crack when you hear the bat. Well, you're far away. You're maybe not in the stadium. Oh, okay. I'm across the street. <laughs> yeah, great. That helps us get more listeners. And now on with the show. All right, Moneyball, 2011. Is this your first? time watching Moneyball? Yeah, why would I watch it before this? Well, I don't know. It's a good movie. <laughs> it's about my least favorite things. It's about what? My least favorite things. Business? Brad Pitt and statistics. Oh, they're great. <laughs> what are you talking about? It's awesome. Just sits here and talks about numbers. He dramatically talks about numbers. Kind of. Not really. <laughs> uh... I do think that's one of the interesting challenges that this book, that this this film takes. So, Michael Lewis wrote a book called Moneyball, based on the two thousand, based on Billy Bean's term as uh, his role in the sabermetrics revolution in the early part of the two thousands in baseball. And that book doesn't solely focus on the two thousand two season. But the 2002 season is like a big, it's a big chunk of the book. Um, And basically, it's not a narrative book. It's almost like an, I don't know what the proper word for the article would be, but like, it's just exploratory information. It's like, this is how the revolution happened. These are who did it. And this is why it was there. So it's like an academic journal. Yes, yeah, yeah. It would be more like that. Um, and Billy Bean is a central focus, as is uh, Paul De Podesta, who is the character that Jonah Hill that Jonah Hill is based on. And Paul De Podesta uh, goes on in real life to be a general manager of the Los Angeles Dodgers for a long time, and then uh, he also is now trying to apply his thoughts and thinking to the Cleveland Browns. So he's over in football. He's a general manager over there now as well. Um, How's that going? So far, not good, but he's only been there for one season. Mm, You gotta get a bigger sample size. Yes. (laughs) Um, Sabermetrics and just statistical ways of looking at players rather than the old school values of... of Heart. (laughs) Heart and all of that, which we'll totally get into. Grit. (laughs) Um, It started in baseball, and baseball was the first one to revol- to be revolutionized by it. Uh, and then That's it... because baseball's the easiest way to do it yes. for. And then it moved to basketball and football almost simultaneously, kind of maybe five, ten years after like this point of mm-hmm. 2002 when this film set. Basketball was the f- took it in quicker, and football's been the one to embrace it the least. And it's still, they're still trying to figure out what it means for their sport. Um, what, are the bi- what are the big five? Uh, sports te- sports leagues? Baseball. Baseball, basketball. football, basketball, hockey. Hockey uses advanced statistics. 
advanced statistics as well. Yeah, well, and also because, like, technology has gotten better to make it even easier yes, to do that. Yes, exactly. Because, like, now you can, like, you can, like, map the shots and the trajectories of a lot of things, so it makes kind of... Makes sense that it's taken off a lot more now than in the olden days. Well, and then if you really look at the other three major sports, football, baseball, or football, basketball, hockey. Wait, we didn't um, name all five. It's usually the big four, but the fifth one is either NASCAR or soccer. So whichever one you want. So really it's six? (laughs) (laughs) No, it's four. (laughs) Golf? Tennis? Big five? (laughs) That's what that's that that company is named after the like five sports leagues, right? Are they? Like Big Five? I have no idea. You know what Big Five is, right? I know what Big Five is. I don't know if they're named after the Big Five sports leagues. I that's what it should be. Uh, yeah, but you can there's get only ho- four. You can get hockey gear there. Yeah. You can probably get soccer gear. You can't get NASCAR there. <laughs> <laughs> you can't just get a NASCAR. Probably, oh hey, I need a NASCAR. You can probably get golf. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Anyways, sorry. All right. Sorry, you're fine. Um, the other three in the big four, um, mm-hmm. the major four of America, um, there are more specific elements to specific plays. In football, basketball, and hockey, I think you all have plays that you're trying to set up. And not that you're not trying to do plays in baseball, but it's it's very different in the sense of that everything is reactive towards something happening, meaning that, like... Everything, like, you can't do anything unless you're on base. And once you're on base, you can't do anything unless you either take a risk or the hitter does something else or the pitcher does. Like, it's all very much, like, plays happen around and it's a game that moves very intertwined with each other. So it's a real cause and effect. Yes. Yeah, that's a great way to put it. Whereas I think that cause and effect is definitely a thing that happens in football, basketball, and hockey. There's more factors almost, though. Yes, there is. Because, like... I mean, the initial thing is you you pitch, and then the player either hits it or they don't. Yes. And then from there, you get all your other options. Yeah. But, like, with football, like, there's, like, 18 people or something on the field. 11 on each side. So there's 22 people on the field, and at a certain point, they can all just do whatever they want. Yeah. And I mean, like, with I guess baseball players could do whatever I mean, they want, but they really can't. Right, there's rules, but as long as you're staying <laughs> within those rules... If you're on first base, you can go to second base. I think that some of it is that the other three sports seem more... Baseball's a team game, and I'm not saying it's not, but it's a team game based on individual success. Mm-hmm. Whereas in, like, football, basketball, hockey, you can't do well unless your team is also doing well to help you. Like, even the best basketball player in the world could be there with, like, four randos. Like, it's you, me, Sly and Ann, and LeBron, and we're going to lose. Because everybody's going to cover LeBron. Wait, who are we playing? Uh, the 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 Golden State Warriors. Oh, I was thinking, like, maybe if we were playing, like, your ACT. <laughs> <laughs> just some children? Yeah. Like, if we were just playing some kids or something, like... No, we're in the NBA. <laughs> Why are we there, Josh? The, Josh, this, the, is, this the is my sport, point. The sport that we get dropped into... <laughs> And we will probably be the most successful is a little thing called curling. And that is what we will do. Okay, but that's what I'm saying is that, like, you could have LeBron and us four and we'd lose because everyone would be like, don't stand near that guy. He's not going to do anything. Guard LeBron. Or they're going to have, like, the other four people on LeBron and one person just jumping back between the four of us. I mean, there's really only three of us. Anne's just going to stand there. So like, Anne's very competitive, and if we're not winning, she might get a little bit discouraged. She's gonna join LeBron's team. We're already on LeBron's team. Oh, sorry, she's gonna join the other team. Yeah. <laughs> so I guess what I'm saying is that all of that is to say, baseball comes, I think, to, st- to statistics and statistical analysis sooner because a. The sport's been around for over a hundred years, even in the 2000s. There's an eons worth of data like and on top of it the data is more individualized to a person or a player it's really clear how if you change one little element of what you're doing you will change 
the there's an there's a factor there's an element that will change on your team that is basically what the moneyball statistical revolution is about is about taking these statistical ideas that have been floating around and inserting them into the game now the film is going to have you believe that like we did it one season yeah we all believe it now woo in reality it takes a decade or more for most teams to really like be on board with it sure a lot of them have some stats guys but it, it just it just takes a long time before we get to the point where like four or five years ago everybody's got some sort of statistical person in their team in their house and doing it and then the other sports have come around to it as well i i i i imagine Kylie, that the scene that you're confused about has to do with, I don't know, explaining some of it? What? what? What's the scene that confused you? You said you were just lost. Oh, I don't know. He's, like, trying to trade people, and he keeps talking to people. Yes. And I'm supposed to know who whom is. Oh, you're not. Ugh, I don't know. I just didn't care. I don't think the scene <laughs> wants you to know who who is. The only player that it wants you to know who it is is the player's name who's been dropped like two or three times earlier in the film. Um, but I think at that moment, the only emotional part that matters is does he does he get what he wants? Does he not get what he wants? Yeah, he keeps calling people though. He keeps calling like eight people and he's trying to like do the Montreal screw job to all of them at once. <laughs> <laughs> malicious <laughs> it's his job no uh oh you know uh, i had a sorry i was getting a blanket that's why i couldn't respond to why it takes baseball uh so long uh it's it's because we don't listen to mathematicians or statisticians or you know scientists so that's possibly why it might take us a while to get here okay i think this is going to transition i like this point because it's going to transition me into one of the arguments as to why i would make that Moneyball. i think is the greatest sports film of the 2010s and i think that's part of it is because it's representational of a change in society that's happened over the last 10 years now i don't think that change in society is that we listen to mathematicians and scientists more it's that baseball teams do <laughs> it's that i think the country as a whole has been slowly changing our opinions on views and beliefs in terms of many, many different groups of individuals, uh, social point of views, um, and morally and ethical debates in terms of whether that be um, sexuality or race or many, many other things that we can talk about in terms of this. Does this film deal with any of that? No, that's not what I'm saying. What I... <coughs> You're fine. Sorry. You're fine. Does this film deal with any of that? No, that's not what I'm saying. I think it touches a tiny bit on masculinity, but other than that, not a lot. What it does, I think, tap into is we're at a precipice of our nation and of our country of change. And I think when we look back on the decade of the 2010s, in history, we will see that this is the decade that was through the wall. This is the one where we're starting to try to make the change. And either we move forward with it, or we just fell apart as a country. Sure, a little. Yeah. I'm not saying it's, it's like... So, it's like the overarching like point of the movie in terms of what this movie actually is and wants to be about. But I do think it's an undercurrent in the movie and it speaks to a larger a larger society or systematic thing in culture than just 
did we win or lose these games? Sure. I mean, I don't watch this movie and think like, wow, we sure are changing. Correct. And so like... We can think, wow, baseball sure is changing in some ways. Mm-hmm. But that's about it. Yeah. Um, so so I, I don't put that much weight on this film. Fair. Um, it's also, I watched it less than 12 hours ago. So, like, you know, my processing time <laughs> hasn't been uh, almost 10 years. Well, you know. I think I saw this movie three times in theaters. Okay. And... Uh, I definitely watch it three times this week, and I watch it at least once a year. Literally, I told Anne I needed to watch it for the podcast, and she was like, didn't you just watch it? And I was like, well, yeah, but, like, watch it again. Um. What are your kind of overall thoughts and premises on the film? Just because I feel like I just jumped into talking about some of my ideas. Uh, I think it's pretty good. <laughs> That's good news. Um, he would. Um, so personally, um, what I found the most engaging was actually like the baseball players yeah. and. Uh, a, a, more of that, um, the more of the business side of things, and wh- while it was good and engaging and like well acted, I just I struggled to get a handle on Brad Pitt's, um, like. Like he he trusts he trusts this Jonah char- Jonah Hill character, mm-hmm. um, and it, it's because another general manager or someone yes. listens to him, mm-hmm. uh, and he continues to go along with Jonah Hill for the longest time, and I never I never got a sense of why does he do that other than well what he's done hasn't worked, and also because he got screwed over by a. Uh, a recruiting a recruiter yeah and so that was kind of, that seemed like it was heavy on his motivation but that it seemed muddled and messy for me okay um and then Jonah Hill's character I didn't feel like I got much of a sense of him as a person mm-hmm. um I understand that he's a good guy but like I also was like why do you care about this and so and they're there were things with their motivations that I was I wasn't as on board and motivated with. Um, the two baseball characters, uh, there's really three baseball characters in particular who um, I actually quite enjoyed. What you saw of them was Chris Pratt, the guy that was older, and the pitcher. <laughs> so that would be uh, Scott Hatterberg as Chris Pratt, okay. David Justice as the guy that is older, and Chad Bradford. These are the character names, the actual human names as well. Yeah. Uh, that uh, is the pitcher. Mm-hmm. The pitcher with the weird arm throw. Yeah. Yeah, Chad Bradford. Uh, and, and and so like watching watching them, I was I don't know I liked them more. <laughs> I understood them. Yes, I think in some ways I can agree that. Peter Brand, the Jonah Hill character, is underdeveloped. Um, yes. He comes off as just kind of... He's so new to the world of baseball business that he doesn't... He's just learning and like taking it in from Brad Pitt and not developing it on his own as a character, as, as, as a person, to the point where even by the end of the film... By the end of the film... He's still just, like, showing... Like, he has a good poignant moment, but it's still within film, and he's still looking up to Billy Bean, and he's still like, this is my mentor. I haven't progressed. And I didn't really understand his relationship to baseball until the end, where he makes a comment like, how can you not fall in love with it or something? And I think that I appreciate that that scene's there, and I think that that helps to clarify there. There is, I think, a tiny bit of sports shorthand being used with that character um because there is a lot of people and i think it's within the line that said 
um, a couple times, and I'm maybe not sure if it's ever addressed specifically to his character, but there's a line that says, you're never... You never know when you can't play the child's game anymore. And there's a and I think that's a big theme of the film in that a lot of sabermetricians um they are that way because they were not able to play the game so they found their own way to connect into it and that is to the stats and the math and like the the finding that that other way into the game and so there's a lot of folks that were told that they were too nerdy and that they were too like outcast and i think that's represented in the scene where Pitt goes to the Cleveland organization and there's like a bunch of guys in a room and Jonah Hill standing over there it's his introduction and like he whispers to the head scout but it's the scout that gets listened to and so I think that it is in the fact that it's his first job in baseball and I think all of this is shorthand for fans who know what the stereotypical of a sabermetrician or a math baseball person is so I agree that, like, looking at it from that other angle, that, yeah, that character is a little undercooked until maybe the very end of the film. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Billy Bean and Brad Pitt. Um, so I think that there's this is a, a decent time to say the sentence out loud that, like, a lot of this movie's made up, even though it's based on a true story. That's fine. Um, which is totally fine. I don't really care. Um, but a lot of the motivation behind that they give um, is true in the sense of it happened to Billy Bean. Um, but Billy Bean has never really stated that like his motivation for doing all the Moneyball things was the way that he was treated by the scouts and as a player. It's never really been said out loud. I think that's an invention by the screenwriters, Steve Zalian and Aaron Sorkin, and the director and Brad Pitt and, like, Bennett Miller. And, you know, that being said, I think that it's an attempt to try to justify why he does what he does. For me, his justifiable actions are in the sense of he understands that it's to be good at his job. And it's the scene, it's the first scene with the scouts where he says... That he's going to, that, like, he asked them, what's the root of the problem? And they're like, we have this many RBIs and this many runs and this many things to it. And he's like, no, what's the root of the problem? And he keeps asking the question. And he comes back to being, we have $36 million. They have $136 million. We're never going to be able to compete with them. How do we solve this problem? Give up. And I think that what I really like about this specific Brad Pitt character, and I think Pitt does this in quite a few of his characters, is he's a character that follows his his instincts, his heart, his gut, whatever you want to say, and understands the limitations of his knowledge. And I think that Billy Bean's motivation in this film and why he's doing it is he needs to solve a problem that he can't solve. And so his trust for Jonah Hill and the Peter Brand character is thinking, this guy knows how to solve the problem. And if I can be the translator of his words to a baseball community because I have a baseball background and he doesn't, then this is how we're going to do it. And we'll do it together. And I think that is where his motivation comes from in terms of just the baseball. He wants to be good at his job, but the... In being good at his job, he wants to and needs to do it for his daughter and for his family. And that is an element of this movie that I think I personally really love and glom onto is that I think in a lot of times sports movies, people have families or love interests and it feels a little just tacked on. It's like, yeah, they have a family, right? You like them more now. Ah, oh, they got kids or whatever. Ah. Oh. Here, we spend a lot of time with his daughter. Um, a lot meaning like more than you would expect, more than you would expect and or probably the most, she probably gets equal screen time to like a Chris Pratt character, which is a secondary character. Um, anybody not named Jonah Hill or Brad Pitt. Um, and I think that's really important to the character. One of my 
favorite scenes of this movie is where they're in the guitar store, the music store, and he sing or he asks her to sing and she does sing a song and it's this like it's it can be fairly all on the nose, but like the lyrics of that song are about like she's like, I'm just a little girl lost in the middle and like the whole thing is just about being lost and not knowing where to go and how to find your way and how to find that strength in trying to continue when you don't know where to go and how to continue when no one believes in you and no one believes in what you're saying and then that song comes back at the end of the film in a way that I think really ties it all together in the sense of he's just a person trying to do the right thing at every step and he doesn't know what that is but he knows in order to succeed he has to change the game. And I, I that to me is the beautiful, like that's I think what I tap into about this character and this part and this movie is that yes, I think the baseball aspects are really fascinating to me and I love the players also, like those three characters that you talk about, I love them also. I think that's for me just where this movie ticks up and goes into that next level is because... At the end of the day, it's not about Moneyball. It's not about the sport, which it is. It's about Brad Pitt's Billy Bean trying to find his place in his family and in his world. Oh, so it's not a sports film. <laughs> it is a sports film, but yeah, it, it has more layers to it. It almost sets it up to where at the very end of the film, when he has the choice to leave Oakland or not, um, I know I'm rooting for him to stay. Um, even though, like, the better financial choice is, and probably, like, other, like, knowing what I know, the best choice would have been for him to go to Boston. Uh, Billy Bean still has not won the last game of the World Series. Um, and Boston has. You know, and they did it using his theories, like the Red Sox, the Cubs, the Rays, so many teams that have been in the playoffs and been doing really well, the Astros. Um, they're all using the sabermetrics idea and they're using it to success. And it's just Oakland hasn't, because baseball is a beautiful game, but baseball is a game of chance at times. The A's haven't ever got back there. You know, they've been in the playoffs and they just haven't ever won the last game. It's also, it's, a, it's also a game of money. Yes. What I mean by that it's a game of luck, luck and chance is that, like, at the end of the day, you put two teams, whether skill there or not, money there or not, they're going to play seven games, and whatever happens, happens. You know, in a short series, there's only so much skill that can do, you know. Um, I agree with you the money is the big this thing that you can collect all those players and when you take not only that idea of how to do sabermetrics and money and put it with a team that has a lot of money they're going to do better as well because now they can be smart and spend money which then there's also there could be like a billy bean there could be a moneyball 2.0 in the Last five years, the A's have had another resurgence. They haven't quite got to the high highs that they got in the early 2000s, but they had another resurgence because what happened is everybody went to look at these on-base statistics and getting on and like valuing all the things that they valued a money ball. So then what that means is, as Billy Bean knows, is that when everybody's doing one thing, there is something that people are undervaluing. And the thing that people then started undervaluing were power hitters and all of those things. And so he almost, again, created a second revolution because he had a team that was built around power and it did really well. You know? Um, I do like those player characters, though. They're solid. I like those scenes. Um, this is, again, it's Parks and Rec era Pratt. Um, and he's just playing that the the first version of what Chris Pratt is. Um, but I like it. I think he adds a lot of sympathy and empathy to that character. Yeah, he's a much different baseball player. You know what I'm sick of seeing? Actually, I'm not that sick of seeing. You know what I see all the time? It's these arrogant baseball players yeah. who suck. 
you know what this guy is? He's really quiet and just reserved. And like when he says, what's your biggest fear? He says any contact with the ball. <laughs> that the ball will be hit in my general direction. And then David Justice laughs. And then he's like, no, no, really. Good luck with that. <laughs> oh, such a good scene. Um, there are a lot of good scenes in here. Um, the funny thing is, it's like, you know what Scott Hatterberg's actually not very good at doing? Playing for space. Playing for space. And playing baseball. It's pretty easy. Yeah, yeah, you know. Yeah, first base, it's pretty easy. <laughs> he said that and I was like, huh. And then immediately it's countered. <laughs> like the other coach, he's like, no, it's hard. What are you talking about? It's incredibly difficult. Uh, it's so good. It doesn't matter, though. You know what I learned? It doesn't matter when you're pitching and everything. What matters is the base time. Yeah. It doesn't matter. That's, that is a flaw of this movie that as a baseball fan, I'm like, listen, you are simplifying this way too much. Like, yes. They simplified everything yes you're not wrong but like if you really went and looked at the 2002 a's like they very much like narrowed the scope of this movie to where it's literally about how do these three players make up for the loss of these three players um when really the scope of the 2002 a's is they had three of the best pitchers in baseball. They didn't lose those, still under good contracts. They had two of the best hitters in the baseball. One who is Eric Chavez, who has a part in this film. He's the guy that he says Chavi to. He says it like two or three times. He's literally the best player on the team. Um, And they don't talk about him because he's like already there doing fine. Um, Jermaine Dye, who they reference a couple times, is the second best hitter on the team. Like, it, it narrows the scope so much that I think it misses the fact um, that, like, this team was going to be good whether this happened or not because you had big pieces. But it is hard when you lose the MVP of the league and one of its biggest stars and one of its best closers. Like, that's hard, and I get that. It's just an interesting thing. There's also, like, some little bit of history writing with Carlos Pena, who is the first baseman that Philip Seymour Hoffman wants to play, but then gets traded. He actually wasn't very good with Oakland. He was actually sent to the minors and then traded, and then when he was brought up with the Tigers, he caught fire and was the rookie of the year that year. But, like... All-star. Yeah, all-star. He'll be an all-star. All-star. Not wrong. Um... Philip Seymour Hoffman's great. I, I, I like, it just can't, he just, he doesn't give two craps about Brad Pitt and this philosophy, and I love him so much, even though the manager's like, I was in on this conversation too, I was a part of it, this, this is an incorrect uh, portrayal of me. Great, fine, whatever, it's, it's a movie. Um, he just, you could have cast anybody in that role. But you didn't. You cast Philip Seymour Hoffman. And, like, just the way that Hoffman and Pitt just get to go off of each other and get to go at each other is just, it's fantastic. I love watching those scenes. Good performances. Good script. There was an early version of this movie. So it was in development for almost 10 years before it came out. Like, literally right after this book. Or maybe I'm almost as there. So it was, like, seven years, maybe. Yeah, the, I, book, I was, the math doesn't work yeah, out. sorry. The book comes years. out in, like, 2004 or five, And then it almost instantly goes into development. And it's attached with Steven Soderbergh. And Brad Pitt then comes on and gets attached. Um, Published in 2003. Three, Okay. And then Steve Zalian, who is, like, a pretty big screenwriter. He's worked with Scorsese quite a bit. He's worked with Spielberg. He's just, he's, like, he's one of the names. Writes this draft. And Soderbergh's whole pitch is he wants to get actual Scott Hatterberg and actual David Justice and actual Chad Bradford to play themselves in the movie. And then he was going to film it partially, like, he was going to film it documentary style, where he was going to have, like, talking heads of them, and, like, then it was going to... So, like, this film gets, like, almost right up to the moment of approval. And then Sony, right before shooting is about to start, is like, oh, no. This is... This is not going to happen. No one's going to watch this movie. Um, 
And so they scrap it, and then it pits like, well, fine, if you don't want to make it, let me do it at my production company, because he really liked the character that was written. And then he brought in Bennett Miller and Sorkin, and they kind of crafted it to be this movie. But I'm like, that's that's fascinating. Other thoughts? I... <laughs> What thoughts would you like me to have? I don't need you to have other thoughts. I just always feel bad when I monologue. I... So I always want to, like, just pause and just be like, Kylie, do you want to do, 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 do have thoughts? I don't want to run over you if you do. No. What are you... The book sounds more interesting to me. It's over there. You can I mean, read it. I mean, I like the analytical stuff. I do, they too. Talk about, they don't talk about it much. Probably because a, a, a general audience may not find it interesting. Yes. Um, so I, it almost it almost feels like one of those things is where you could talk about the analytics of something oh. and introduce that to a mainstream audience uh, and I, want your audience to... I don't know. To like, follow. Well, I mean, maybe not even to follow, but even just to get a taste of, yeah. like, this is how things work and blah, blah, blah. And then I'm not, I mean, like, I'm not, like, furious that it doesn't do it, but it just seems like a missed opportunity. Yeah. Um, and so, like, uh, I don't know. <laughs> I think they try to a very small extent, mm -hmm. meaning that they, they try to explain what on-base percentage is and why it's important. And on-base percentage is the most basic of advanced stats. It's like the pumpkin spice of advanced stats. Like, everyone's like, yeah, okay, we get it, but, like, what else is there? Like, it was adapted what? really fast. I mean, I mean, batting average. Is a bullcrap stat. Um, but it's popular. <laughs> it's popular. It's easy to calculate. Uh -huh. Um, on base percentage is what they try to use and do forward here. And I think they explain it well enough about what it is and why it helps. Mm -hmm. Um, but I agree with you. They don't really care too much, too much about the analytics. They want you to care about the analytics in sense of how it's changing the game. And that's about it. Mm-hmm. Um, this was Jonah Hill's, like, first I'm gonna be a dramatic actor movie. And I remember when I was first getting ready to watch this movie, I was like, what the hell, what the heck's Jonah Hill doing here? Is he, I mean, I, his, is, per, his performance is so subtle and small that I'm just like, ah, you know, Jonah Hill's got this. I love that about this performance. And for me, I think that's actually one of the things that endeared me to it very quickly is because, like, super bad Jonah Hill or that era, he's very big and broad, mm -hmm. you know? Um, and so to see him be more reserved and small and shy, and those qualities that I just said out loud are the reason why Paul DePodesta, who is the actual person that Peter Rand's based on, um, took his name off the role. Um, is because he's like, this isn't me. I'm nothing like this. But it was a choice they chose to make in the movie. I'd be hard-pressed to find more than one or two roles of Brad Pitt's that I like better than this. And Brad Pitt is, like, one of my top two guys. Like, this might be one of my favorite acting performances that he gives. Um, I would have to do some more research before I would be, like, my favorite. I think it's his best. But it is certainly in the conversation. The big short. He's barely in that movie, but he's good. My favorite performance of his. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Meet Joe Black? No. I don't think I've seen that many Brad Pitt movies. Um, what I like about him here is that he uses his movie star persona and yet also like takes it way down. Like He turns the volume down, but he's still doing movie star because there's definitely scenes where like he's sitting alone in a dark alley or a dark stadium or he's in his truck there are so many shots of him just driving in his truck um and you just seem to feel that 
presence that Brad Pitt just has. And the character they build of Billy Bean is one who is really soulful and seems really lost. And he's searching for a lot of different things and a lot of different um, ways that he can be and interact. And I do think in some ways there is this idea of masculinity that the film is challenging because you've got Billy Bean and Brad Pitt, who's a very traditionally like baseball masculine dude, but he's asking the world to change. And I think by seeing his change and his, his, um, softer side, not that he changes from who he is, but he does have a softer side. Um, I think that's really what helps make this performance as unique and layered as it is. I mean, you've got this, we haven't mentioned Robin Wright yet, his ex-wife. Um, and do you know who plays, uh, Robin Wright's new husband? No. Director Spike Jones. <laughs> Here he is on camera. Oh, yeah, it's from all that good times of yeah. being John Malkovich. Yep, there you go. Uh, playing a, I don't know, new agey kind of man, and that I don't think the film wants to, like, belittle that character or make him seem like he's wrong. I just want, I think the film is like, there are two different types of people in this world and it's okay we can not we can either not like each other or like each other and we can get along um i think it belittles him a little bit does it yeah because he has that line of like oh you know <clears throat> oh you know you, if we don't think she should have a cell phone we can talk about it and brad pitt's like i'll talk about um her mother and i will talk about it right and so like maybe it's not belittling him for his sake but it does leave you to be like oh yeah this character's not as good as brad pitt i mean that's that's very true and so like it's not i guess it's not belittling him in the sense of like who he is but like you you don't leave there and be like you know what that guy made some good points i mean i agree with that i agree with that a lot and i think that that was a little bit of what i was trying to get at with like we're not saying that he's a lesser person because of who he is. He's a lesser person because he's not her dad. Yes. And that's just because we're... <laughs> well, that's opening up some other characters. Well, hang on, hang on. And that's just because we're in the point of view of the Brad Pitt character. Like, and it is... And I, I think it's pretty clear in the film that this version not really over his ex-wife like lives alone still like really like i think that there is some caring shown there like i don't know i maybe i'm reading too much into the movie but like i think there's that there a little bit as well because he chooses to stay near his family his daughter like he wants to be in their life as much as possible um and i think that's where the resentment comes from be nice to people be nice to people you should do it, everybody, always. Stepdads can be good. Half-dads can be good? <laughs> that He's not her half-dad. Oh, okay. You can't, like, half-half a half-dad. <laughs> you can't half-half a half-dad? You can't have a half-dad. Yeah, he's just pants. <sighs> cool. I'm not sure if I have more to say about Moneyball right now. I mean, you talked for about an hour. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Guys, I love this film. I love it a lot. When we were like, we should do a baseball film again. Baseball season's starting soon. Oh, baseball season's not starting soon. Coronavirus. You picked um, you picked this. I did. Which yeah. breaks the tradition. And you like tradition. I do. I'm so sorry. We're going to do your pick, too. We have two on the calendar this year. I know. <laughs> I'm going to pick the best one. You did. You Good job. You picked a really good one. Um, I just I wanted you to watch this movie. Why? <laughs> I love this movie, and I like sharing things <laughs> that I love with people that I like care about and want to talk to films about. I don't have a ton of thoughts, unfortunately. That's okay. Maybe I just wanted a monologue. Maybe I just needed this in my life right now. You can monologue. I thought it was a good time. I'm like, that is my win, is that you didn't hate this movie. I would not have nominated it for all the Oscars. I will nominate it for all of them. Best film of 2011, hands down. Okay, let's take... Oh, there, Pecos Bill. Alright, listen. Better than The Fartist, okay? I... Okay... I won't fight you there. <laughs> 2011. 
2011? Yeah. Okay. Oh, you might be right. <laughs> 2011 is a stinky year for movies. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Not, no. Yeah, never, never mind. Moneyball, give it all the Oscars! <laughs> I mean, listen, when we if we do 2011 in our uh, rewrite the Oscars, you're gonna get Maybe the... a separation? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Like, oh, you know, maybe this this would never win an Oscar. Okay, all right. I think the raid probably uh-huh. one of is probably one of the more influential films of 2011. I think that like if you're just looking at Oscars, what's hard about 2011 is because Oscars suck. Is there's a specific type of Oscar movie, uh-huh. and none of them were very good that year. The Descendant. Oh, War Horse. I like The Descendants. War Horse, War Horse is a crap. We're gonna watch it, right? Yeah, when we get there. War Horse. Start at Star Trek. Get over there. War Horse. Horse. Hannah. Yeah. Harry Potter. I. That's a good Harry Potter. I think that's like four on my ranking that year. This is also, I mean, like Midnight in Paris. Yeah. Tree of Life. Yeah. People like those movies. My favorite of this year is We Need to Talk About Kevin. Mm-hmm. Didn't get any nominations or buzz because no one gives a crap about Kevin. We needed to talk about him a lot earlier yeah. than now. Warrior. And of course. Take shelter. Is that 11 or is that 10? According to Letterbox, it's 11. Okay. Cool. I can only go off of yeah, no, yeah. so much without doing any effort. Um, This is also a Planet of the Apes here. It's Dawn, right? It's the first one? It's, no, it's the second one. <gasps> the first one's in 2009. This is a good Planet of the Apes here, then. Mm-hmm. You also get Hugo. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that quintessential film. Uh, Thor, Captain America. I don't I don't hate Hugo. I know. You own it. I like it. The the number one ranked film on Letterboxd of two thousand eleven is Drive. Is that by is it ranked by popularity or by um rating? I mean, either is fine. I was oh, it's curious. still popularity. That's fine. That yeah, that's fine. That makes sense. Do you want me to do it by rating? Ooh, let's do it. Let's letterbox top ten of rating. Okay, not my rating. <laughs> okay. Get short films out of there. Ooh. Um. How do I do that? <laughs> is there? I think there's a. In the same place, there's one that says length in that same filter area. If it's not there, that's fine. Oh, you can only filter one at a time. Oh, okay. Never mind. Let's just... Okay, great. Okay. Um, I'm going to skip the first two. Okay. Because they are... It looks like movie concerts. Great. Okay. Um, we're also going to skip the third one. It looks like a documentary. <laughs> okay. Great. We're going to start at four. Okay, great. Josh... I lied. We need to talk about Kevin is not my number one film of 2011. Oh. It's, this is my favorite animated film of all time. You have seen it. Oh, do I own it? Is it up there? Is no. it Pixar? It's not. Oh, okay. You were looking right at the Pixar film, so I was like, when did it release in 2011? <laughs> like... Cars. Car, yeah, there you go. <laughs> Ding! Cars 2. Ding! No, just Cars. No. <laughs> the re-release. Animated, um... Cars 2, actually. Doesn't matter. Yeah. What? Animated, you love it. Uh-huh. Shrek re-release? No. 10-year anniversary? You say that it's, like, the closest thing you can get to capturing humanity on film or something like that. Oh, gosh. <laughs> Your letterbox review is, like, super extra. <laughs> <laughs> I love it, and I have no idea what the film is. Joey, stop attacking me. <laughs> um, the main character's name is Bill... Bogus Journey? No. <laughs> Re-release? 
Okay, Lickers Bill. He's a stick figure. Oh, um, <laughs> <laughs> it's such a beautiful day. Thank you. Oh, there you go. Okay. <laughs> Number two is a foreign language a separation. Alright, I don't know if I know what this next one is. Uh, we're gonna skip this one because it's Kill Bill, The Whole Bloody Affair. Okay, great. We're gonna skip this one. It looks like a doc. It's called Human Planet. Great. Alright, this one looks like a live play recording. <laughs> like I said, 2011, it's a great year, everybody. <laughs> okay, so we're gonna jump down to another narrative somewhere. Okay, this is a film by Nicholas Winding Refn. Drive. I had to skip, like, two rolls down. Okay, now this is another, um, this is another international film. Oh, no. <laughs> the Tree of Life? It was, Where's Tree of Life? It was remade in America recently. The, oh, so it's, it's the Kevin Hart, um... Brian Cranston, but the uh, the uh, the in betweeners, the intouchables, the intouchables, the in betweeners is a British show. Okay, great. Um, we're gonna fast forward. <laughs> All right, this is a Gavin O'Connor film. Warrior. Warrior. Oh, that was what I wanted to say. I actually think watching Moneyball and The Way Back close to each other are really interesting because. I think Moneyball is the template Gavin O'Connor is trying to use in his exploration of a flawed, lost male character dealing with sports. I don't think he nails it as much as this film does, but I think it's the template. Like, even down to some of the score, um, it's real similar. Oh, I love the score of this movie. Did I mention the score? The score is great. Okay, then we have a another international film. Oh gosh. I had to keep skipping. <laughs> Are we at ten yet? <laughs> no. Uh, okay. I'm only bringing up the ones you should have heard in your Okay, life. all right. Uh, another international film from 2011. Yeah, oh, I good. said it was probably the most influential film of 2011. The Fartist? No. That's technically an international film. I didn't say it was like... <laughs> Influential. Holy Motors? No, that's 2012. Um, I go. Yeah. The Raid? The Raid. Okay. Free! Um, this documentary I will require you to answer because you should know it. It's a very popular, or a very popular um, documentary. It's about a chef, I believe. A gyro Dreams of Sushi? Bing! Uh, Harry Potter is the next one. <laughs> Death of Hells Part 1. Uh-huh. Death of Hells Part 2. So sorry. All right. Here's another documentary, and it's the end of a trilogy. However, it's not the last time we're going to hear about this story. But it'll come from a different perspective. Oh, gosh. It's the one that I watched the first part of. Um, mm -hmm. oh, about the Memphis kids. Uh-huh. I don't know the name of the third one. Paradise Lost Paradise 3. Lost 3. Oh, <laughs> Charlie, I'm I'm the worst at this sometimes. Uh-huh. Then it's I oh, it's a documentary you knew the name of earlier. Uh football documentary. Undefeated. Alright, last one. This is directed by a woman. Nikki Cara, what are you doing? She's not. The Biggs, Catherine Bigelow? No. She's a director who may have only I think we've only seen two of her films. This and another film that came out recently within the past two years. Patty Jenkins? No. Oh, good. I didn't know her other film. Uh... I have talked about it earlier this podcast. I said, incorrectly, my favorite film of 2011 is... Oh, gosh. Charlie. You know what the greatest part of this conversation, listeners, is that while hanging out with Josh, he can remember things from like 1999. <laughs> However, I have these conversations with him seconds ago, and they are lost to the wind. Yeah, forever gone. <laughs> Charlie, what did you just say was your favorite film of 2011, but it's not? She. Charlie would like this film. There's lots of red in it. 
the lead character is by an actress we have argued is never bad. Meryl? <laughs> Meryl is bad lots of times. <laughs> Who's never bad? Amy? She's, yeah, she pretty Who's never bad? <laughs> Who's never bad? Uh, the second lead of this film is a kid who goes, who grows up to do all the franchises. And by all of them, I mean two. Which two? Which two? Harry Potter and DC. I should know this by now. Would you like me to rephrase how I said one of them? Yeah, sure. Wizarding World and DC. Zoe Kravitz? No, wait, no. Okay, you're on the right track. Just get the... Zoe Kravitz has not appeared in a DC film yet. Live action. Who has... Calcatel? This no. might be a conversation <laughs> we should have. <laughs> Charlie, who is it? Who's in Fantastic Beasts? Okay. The third lead <laughs> is a comedian actor. Part of a duo. But he can do more serious things. Jordan Peele? Is Jordan Peele here? <laughs> no. <laughs> okay. Fantastic Beasts. It's Josh Gad. Eddie Redmayne. Did you say Catherine. Josh Gad? Yeah. Josh Gad's not in... Oh, sorry. What's his name? It's not him. Just keep going. Eddie Redmayne, Catherine Waterstone. Okay. Um, is it her? No. Okay. She's not in a DC film. Uh, the lady that plays the blonde lady. I don't know her name either. Okay. (laughs) Former. Colin. Okay. Jude. I don't know how to help you at this point. Josh, we're talking about. (laughs) <laughs> the up the second in the wizarding world I pointed at the character and said he is a cloud he he Ezra <laughs> Kevin we need to talk about Kevin we need to talk about Kevin it did it directed by Lynn Ramsey yep yep, yep. starring Tilda Swinton who's never bad uh, yep <laughs> yeah no your clues are great there's lots so- of red <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's called blood Kylie <laughs> There's also paint. We don't see much of the violence. Uh, she holds it off for when she makes You Were Never Really Here. Yeah, the better version of Joker. Well, everyone, this has been <laughs> Don't Watch Together. I'm ashamed. I'm ashamed at who I am. <laughs> Active listening left ear. Active listening right ear. Um, do whatever you want. I've been Kylie. I'm a failure. Quack, 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 quack. 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 <laughs>